Get your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 10. I'm so excited about kicking off this series. Uh, it's going to be a good one as, as we dive into God's Word. We're talking about epic. Now, most of you, if you're thinking about epic as it's used in modern vernacular, it has quickly morphed into an adjective when it used to be a noun. Uh, by adjective, I mean like we talk about epic wins, epic fails. Uh, we talk about epic food. That pizza was epic. Or we just say, epic, dude. I mean, you know, we, everything's epic now, and then usually it's used to describe everything. But I don't want to use it as an adjective. I want to use it as a noun today. I want you to rewind the tapes of time unless you're currently a teenager and this is your world now but I want you to go back to literature class anybody ever take literature class and you talked about epics epics are a certain literary genre and here's a definition from a literary standpoint of an epic it is a long poetic composition usually centered around a hero in which a series of great achievements is narrated in elevated style. Let me unpackage that for you. How many of you would like to believe, I hope to convince you by the time we're done this morning, that your life was meant to be part of a great epic, all right? A long literary composition with a hero at the center who's involved in accomplishing all kinds of amazing feats in an elevated style. Most of us, if we watch good movies, ones that win Academy Awards and so forth, they have certain ingredients in them. Things like love, adventure, danger, heroism, romance, sacrifice. How about the battle between good and evil? And normally there's some type of unlikely hero involved in that story, right? Who's facing insurmountable odds. And of course a good story ends with the unlikely hero conquering the insurmountable odds, saving the day, defeating evil. There's romance and danger and everything mixed in their adventure. But when the story ends, you leave the movie theater feeling inspired. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Can any of you remember those days? That's probably a better question. I can't, I can't think of the last time I left a movie theater inspired. But how about any of you see like Lord of the Rings, an example of a great epic? These little hobbits facing insurmountable odds and uh, evil. They're full of danger and adventure and love and romance. And at the end of the day, good conquers evil. Well, in our epic that we're talking about here, how many of you know we have an author of this epic? His name is God Almighty. The long poetic composition is the story that God wants to write through you and through me. And how about the hero? Who's the hero of the story we're invited to be a part of? It's none other than Jesus. But this is cool, because how many of you know the hero of the story lives inside of every person in this room who's bowed their knee to Jesus Christ? I like to think of us like superheroes. In, in our natural condition, we don't have a whole lot to offer. We're pretty weak and puny. We're like, we're like, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, help me out here, Aaron. You're my superhero expert. Uh, Clark Kent, there we go, I'm pulling it out of my brain. Clark Kent walking into the phone booth, right, and coming out as Superman. How many of you know when you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, Clark Kent went into the, to the phone booth and out came Superman because Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, amen? So what's really cool is we're, we're invited to take part in a superhero movie of which there's really only one hero, his name is Jesus, and he takes weak, insignificant people and he allows us through him, the hero in us, to do things that are absolutely supernatural. So that, let me just tell you, your story, if you're in Christ, should be filled with romance. We just, we just did this this morning. What is worship if it's not romance? 
I just absolutely had my heart captivated this morning by a God who would overcome every obstacle to pursue me and chase me down so he could love me to life. Anybody else feel loved this morning? I mean, and I just want to encourage you, if, if this is your first context in worship where you've seen emotion or expression, if you will look at worship as an opportunity of you to sing back to the Lord your great affection and love for him, you will absolutely be moved in the presence of God. And let me just say this, how can we be in the presence of God and not be moved? I think we sing a song like that. How can you come into the presence of your creator and not be moved? So our story is about romance. It's about a God who loves us and who overcame every obstacle to capture our heart. I like the story uh, uh, of of the prince kissing, you know, Snow White when she's it was Snow White, wasn't it? I get my fairy tales mixed up. All right, kissing Snow White, she awakens from her death, and finally she's able to kiss back. How many of you have been kissed to life by the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. But let me just say this. I think most of us in church, if we're not careful, we get into the normal routines of life. And if I ask you, does your life story resemble an adventure story? Is there danger? Is there suspense? Are you living on the edge? Or are you asleep in a coma, frankly bored out of your mind? I think many of us sometimes, life can be somewhat routine, can it not? And, uh, and the Christian life, you're like sometimes yawning. But I just want to tell you, every good adventure story, every good epic has an incredible amount of, of life on the edge. And I want to tell you, if you're living the Christian life correctly, you should never be bored. Your life should be exciting. doesn't mean you constantly live in that state of hyper-excitement, but it means that should be part of the ingredients that are involved there. I want you to look with me uh, at Ephesians 2, verse 10. Because I'm, I'm just going to look today, and we're going to read it all, but I'm just going to start with the first part of this verse today, and we'll pick it up next week. The Bible says this, For we are His workmanship. One translation says masterpiece. Isn't that great? We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Next week we're going to talk about calling, but today I want to talk about the first part of this verse, which highlights the fact that we have been created. Now every good story starts off with something like this, once upon a time, or something of that nature. Our story starts off in Genesis 1-1. You all know the beginning of the story. It says this, in the beginning, what? God created. Sometimes we gloss over that, but I want to remind us this morning that if we have no creator, then your story has no author. If your story has no author, then your life is meaningless, your life is purposeless, and uh, and you really have no story whatsoever. How many of you ever read Ravi Zacharias, a great Christian apologist, one of my favorite authors? Anybody Ravi Zacharias fans? There's a story told, and I love it, because it, it highlights truth and it highlights this man whose, whose mind has been very sharpened to understand and to articulate truth. It tells the story when, when Ravi was speaking at the Wexner Center of Arts at the Ohio State University and on his way to the evening lecture at this Wexner Center, the driver stopped to take him around and give him a tour of the facility. Now the Wexner Center is America's first postmodern building and the author or the driver was explaining this with excitement this is the first postmodern building let me tell you what's in it there are doors that open up that go to nowhere there are staircases that lead up to nowhere there are pillars that support nothing and the guy that was showing Ravi around was all excited about 
all of these meaningless uh, architectural touches because here's what it was supposed to show. The architect designed the building with no particular purpose in mind. If you know anything about or about postmodernism, postmodernism, which is the air in which we breathe right now, it's the, it's the air that every university student breathes, it basically says this, there is no big story about life. Because if there was a big story, there would have to be a big story creator. And of course, we know there's no big creator out there. And so there is no truth with a capital T. There's just little tiny truths. You and I make up our own truths, whatever those truths are, whatever works for you, whatever. But there is no absolute truth. And so a postmodern building with doors that open up to walls, stairways that climb up to, to doors that don't go anywhere, pillars that don't support anything, this guy was just gushing because here's a picture of postmodernism put to art. I just want to let you all know that the new building that we're adding on here is not postmodern. Because you could be flushing your money down the toilet and that building would serve absolutely no purpose. Because a building with doors that don't go anywhere and hallways that don't take you anywhere and stairs that don't go anywhere and pillars that don't support anything is stupid. And Ravi Zacharias, after this guide's glowing, look at this crazy building, isn't it awesome? It's meaningless. <laughs> I mean, he says this. Did he do the same with the foundation? Mic drop. Because <laughs> how many of you know if this moron built this building toward meaninglessness and he built a foundation the same way, they would be standing in a pile of rubble. We all know that even buildings built to the God of meaninglessness have to have a meaningful structure to stand on. And I like to tell our students in the roar that if you are an atheist, that you're a secularist, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in truth, you believe that life is meaningless, then please just shut up. Because as soon as you open your mouth, you just prove that you believe that some things are meaningful, like what you're saying now. So all of these professors at universities preaching secularism, atheism, meaninglessness, those classes should be really quiet. Because as soon as they open their mouths, they violate their worldview. You know, the world would be a very quiet place. If godless people who believe the world is meaningless would just live out their worldview. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> Science itself is woefully inadequate to explain the story. Because science struggles with two things, beginnings and endings. Science deals with what is now. It can extrapolate and guess about what was or what is, but it doesn't do a very good job. In fact, here's the deal. To the question, how did everything begin, science answers probably by an accident, right? That's what evolution teaches. And to the question, how will it all end, science answers probably by an accident, like a big asteroid is going to hit us or something. But for most of us, an accidental life is not worth living. Am I speaking to the right crowd? <laughs> when we read these words, in the beginning, 
God created, something should explode in us. And, and I just want to say this. Something by way of holy anger for the trampling of the glory of God that's being officially established in our universities and public school system, suggesting that we live in a, a meaningless world that was not created and has no intention or purpose or structure or order or anything, that should offend us because let me tell you why. It is a trampling on the glory of God. And one of the unique aspects of his greatness is the fact that God creates. And the Bible says we are his workmanship, we're created, which check this out, this is very, very important, which means you're part of a story. You're part of a story with an author. You're part of a story that has meaning. When God creates something, he doesn't do it randomly or haphazardly. He does everything that he does with intention and purpose, which means God made you on purpose. Now, what should happen just with that thought right there is our mind should be racing to discern who is this God who created and what is my purpose? Does this make sense to everybody? If there's no God, we're wasting our time here. Your life is worthless. It's meaningless. Just go do something, but don't waste it sitting here. But if there is a God and he created, then you are pregnant with destiny. Your life is part of an epic that is yet to be uncovered, and you should be incredibly excited about that. In fact, that should set you on a quest to know God and to know why he fashioned you and created you. How many of you know stories tell us who we are? Our stories tell us why we're here. Our stories tell us what we do. Our stories give us the answer to the, the deepest questions in life. In fact, if we really want to get to know somebody, if I want to get to know Nate, I'll take Nate out for coffee and I'll look at Nate and I'll say, Hey, Nate, tell me your story. If you've ever been to marriage class, or if you haven't, I'm warning you, okay? If you, but if you have never been to marriage class, some of you are already laughing because you know what I'm going to say. Bishop will say, hey, I don't think I know you guys. Come up here. What is your name? Oh, Chris. Come up here, Chris and Julia. Tell us your story. And it goes downhill from there, you know, because, you know, <laughs> you know, you start laying it out there. And then how many people have said, I can't believe I just shared all that. But it's because we have a great atmosphere around here where, number one, people care to know your story. And number two, your story matters. And number three, your story has insights, keys, breakthroughs for somebody else who might be going through the same thing. And, but the point is, we all have a story, do we not? The question is, is our story intentional, meaningful, or is it, or is it an accident? And how many of you know stories make no sense if they're taken out of context? Every pastor has tried to show, you can, you can relate to this, we try to show a video clip, right, of a movie to highlight a certain scene. The only problem is we show a 30-second clip out of a two-hour movie. And we're all excited because we just watched the movie, but everybody else is staring at there going, why did pastor show that clip? What happened? You lost the, you lost the context. If your life is like a puzzle piece and you're trying to say, who am I? Why do I exist? Where do I fit in? I'm special. Well, that's all true. But you're clueless because until that piece gets put in the larger puzzle and you see the bigger picture, you don't know what you are, what you're reflecting, who you are, where you fit, what's the purpose of the whole deal. You need context. And so I'm telling you this morning, here's the good news. There is context for who you are. There's context for why you're here. There's context for where you're going. Not just individually, but corporately. And this should excite us if our whole goal is to live an epic life. Let me jump down 
to verse 16, because we read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. But I'm going to give you one of the greatest understatements in the history of understatements in the Bible. Are you guys ready? This is the most stunning understatement that the Holy Spirit ever gave. Here's the understatement. We read through this whole creation passage. We get down to verse 16, and this is what we read. He, namely God, made the stars also. Isn't that special? God made the stars also. God made the stars. If we don't pause right here to feel the full weight of the genius and wisdom of God, You'll never appreciate who you are because your identity comes only in the context of the greatness of the author. Your story is only great as the one who wrote it. Here's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to show off for God. I'm trying to do my as best as I can with my peanut little brain to magnify the greatness of a God who's beyond full magnification. Are you with me? But let's pause right here. God made the stars. Isn't that special? We live in a universe one hundred billion light years across and it contains countless trillions of stars just to give you an idea i remember reading this one time if you were to sit on the beach and just scoop up a big old fat handful of sand there would be about ten thousand grains of sand in your hand if you were to get an idea of how many stars there are count all the sand on all the beaches Every grain of sand represents one star. So when verse 16 says, oh yeah, and God made the stars. No, no, no. This is stunning. If you think back with me to high school science class, we're going to have prayer at the end for anybody traumatized by that, but just hang with me. You may remember that light travels at 5.87 trillion miles a year. Do anybody remember that little fact? 5.87 trillion miles speed of light travels in one year. And if you recall, our little planet Earth is part of this big Milky Way galaxy that's 100,000 light years across or about 587,000 trillion miles, which is absolutely meaningless to me. I'm just trying to pay my light bill. You know what I'm talking about? This is this number is so huge, it, only smart people can really go, wow, all right? The rest of us just go, take pastor's word for it. That's a lot. <laughs> and the Milky Way galaxy that's so incredibly huge, that's staggering in its immensity, is only about one of a whole bunch of millions of galaxies just like it. In fact, check this out. If we use our strongest telescopes to see just in our galaxy, to check out the stars. There's about 100 billion stars just over your head right now if we use the best microscopes to see them. 100 billion stars. Now, Pastor, why are you making this big deal about stars? Well, here's why. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 and 26. God says this to Isaiah, To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. And he tells Isaiah, with just the power of his natural eyeballs, look up into the heavens, and he asks him this question, who created all those stars? Oh, and it gets better. He didn't just create them. He brings them out like an army. How many of you know every single one of those stars has its place? And it doesn't leave its place. Which is why at certain times of the year... We can go outside like that eclipse. How many of you know the eclipse didn't catch anybody by surprise? 
You know why? Not because we live in an evolutionary, accidental, random universe, or we wouldn't be able to know anything about anything, but because we live in a God-created universe, we knew exactly when the eclipse happens, and ready for this, we know exactly when the next one's going to happen. How does that happen? Because check it out. God compares the stars like an army. How many of you know army? any army people in here? Uh, you don't just go, hey, yeah, dude, well, let's just show up. Where are we going to go today? I don't know. I'm just going to go shoot over there. No, that's not how it works. Everybody's in order. Everybody has an assignment. There's rank. There's hierarchy. How many of you know God created the universe with order and rank and hierarchy and design? So that there's out of a hundred billion stars, it's just over our head. Not a one of them is out of order. And check this out, because this is setting us up for next week. He brings them out like an army, one after the other, calling each by name. I'm just confessing. Okay, we have eight kids, y'all know that. By about child number seven, I'm scraping for some names. We're like, what are we going to name this one? How about this? No, we named the third one that. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that creative. I can see why, you know, the guy that made the grill, George Foreman, he named all of his kids George. I mean, I get it. I'm not, I mean, I get it. Now, I can totally relate to that. George number one, George number two. I mean, I'm Ronnie number two. I'm junior, all right? I get it. I, that's probably what my dad did. It flows. But here's the deal. God calls them by name, and they listen, and they all go in order. Now, heres I'm just connecting some dots for you. If God knows the name of a star, do you not think he knows you intimately? Do you not think he knows you personally? Do you not think he had something special purposely for you? I mean, we could stop right here and just like pause and meditate on this because this should blow your mind. How much more the Bible says, yeah, he knows birds and he knows stars and he knows flowers. How much more Jesus says, does he know you? And we're talking about unbelievable intimacy and knowledge and love and design that God has put forth in creating us. It's staggering, actually. Mark Batterson in his book, The Grave Robber, says this. He says, you may feel as if you're sitting still right now, but it's an illusion of miraculous proportions. Planet Earth is spinning around its axis at the speed of a 1,000 miles per hour. Every 24 hours, the Earth pulls a celestial 360. We're also hurtling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's not just faster than a speeding bullet. It's 87 times faster than the speed of light. I'm sorry, the speed of sound. So even one day when you feel like you didn't get much done, don't forget that you did travel 1,599,793 miles through space. While you were sitting down watching TV, eating popcorn, you accomplished that, all right? And to top things off, the Milky Way is spinning like a galactic pinwheel at a dizzying rate of 483,000 miles per hour. Earth is spinning around the sun. Uh, we're doing this thing. And then the galaxy itself is spinning around. We're, we're spinning around everywhere. But what's amazing is I don't even feel it. How about you? Feels pretty peaceful, doesn't it? I mean, does that not cause us to pause and just go, wow, 
See, I think we, you know, I read some stupid article today. I said, you know, really smart people are more inclined to atheism and emotional people are more inclined to being religious. I thought, who's the moron that wrote that? No, really smart people take the time to think deeply about things. And when you take time to think deeply about things, you don't default to meaninglessness. You default to incredible meaning with a capital M. And then you get emotional about it, which is what you should be. Because it stirs up passion in your heart to know this God who created you. It's really rather incredible. Here's the point. Why am I talking about stars and everything else? Because listen, our story has an amazingly big backdrop. It's cosmic. It's global. The epic that God is writing through each one of us is huge. And you need to see that you and I have been invited to be a part of this epic. Which leads me to my second point this morning. First point, we're created, which means there's an author to the story, which is very, very important. Secondly, and this is important, we are God's masterpiece. This is an incredible thought. You know, sometimes, and, and you know I've been your pastor as long as I've been your pastor, I don't like to get up on the warm, fuzzy things like why you're special all the time. You're just so special. You're just special. If everybody feel good, raise your self-esteem, you're special. In fact, the Bible usually destroys your self-esteem before it builds you back up in God. Before you realize you're not that special, you're a sinner like everybody else, all right? Um, but how many of you know the flip side is when we say we're special, it, we take that way too for granted too. It's kind of like, and God made the stars. You're special. No. When God says you're a masterpiece, I want us to kind of probe this a little bit because I don't even think we understand what kind of a masterpiece we really are. How many of you realize there was a time in history when you did not exist? You had no being. You were non-existing. I don't know about you, but when I was little, I used to lay in bed at night and I would think about what nothing actually was. Did any of you ever... Okay, I'm sorry. You guys were probably playing playing with toys and things like that. But I laid in bed and I tried to think of what nothing looked like. But how many know you can't think of what nothing looks like because nothing is either a color or something. But there was a time when you and I had no being. We had no existence. We were not here. But how many of you know God always, has always had being? He always existed uh, in time. There was a time when in the mind of God, he called you forth from nothing into something. And that's pretty dramatic. I like to think of it this way. Why? Who am I? God had to conceive of you before he called you forth into being. In fact, the Bible says he knew you from before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? That's just staggering to our finite little brains. So there was a time when we were not, and then he called us into being. In fact, he says we're his workmanship. We're the thing of his making. We're his handiwork. This refers not only to our original creation, but also to our new creation. How many of you know God was at work in, in your rebirth as well, in remaking you in the image of Christ? In fact, the Bible for this word workmanship is the word we get our word poet and our word poem from. God is the poet. He's the one writing this beautiful poetry. Who's the poetry? It's you and I. It's our lives that God is writing about. And I want you to know every single ounce, if we can get our brains around this, of God's creative, artistic, intelligent genius went into you. Now just pause there for a minute and think about that. God specifically designed you in incredible depth and detail. You're not a mass production. You are a one-of-a-kind original masterpiece with his signature on your soul. Oh, we need to meditate on these things because it will change the way we live. Look what it says here in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. 
The psalmist says this, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. He says here, your workmanship is marvelous. I want you to consider this. There's trillions of chemical reactions taking place in our bodies every second of every day. Again, we're not even aware of these things. We inhale oxygen. We metabolize energy. We manage equilibrium. We manufacture hormones. We fight antigens. We filter stimuli. We mend tissue. We purify toxins. We digest food. We circulate blood. How many of you know you probably didn't think about any of those things until I just said that? All of this complexity is taking place inside of us right now. And you might not feel very smart this morning, but consider this. Your brain is performing up to 10 quadrillion calculations per second. Using only 10 watts of power. A computer would require a gigawatt of power produced by a nuclear power plant to pull off the same performance. You're doing it right now, not even aware of all the things your body is processing. Now here's the question. None of these things could happen by accident. Do you know how stupid it is to consider that your heart evolved from 0% capacity to 1% capacity, and then evolved to 2% capacity. Can I ask you a profound question? What good is a heart functioning at 1% capacity? You're dead. What good is blood clotting as it's evolving? Guess what happens, dude, when your blood clotting system isn't fully functioning? You bleed to death. Guess what happens when your brain isn't, well, don't you don't have to guess that. We live with that reality every day. My point is this, it's not just that the systems themselves have to come fully operational, but the integration of all these systems have to be fully operational. And you're not even thinking about it right now. I'm up here using all of this amazing apparatus, and I'm not even aware of how it's even happening, which brings me up to another point. You know, I've said this for years, in our educational institutions, whether you're homeschooled, whether you are private schooled, certainly if you are public schooled, whether it's elementary school, middle school, high school, or college, every time you discover order in the human body, or every time you mix two chemicals together and you get the same chemical reaction, class should pause, everybody should hit the ground, raise hands, face bowed, and worship God because you just discovered something absolutely miraculous. You just stumbled upon genius, intelligence, and it happens every single time you put those two chemicals together and you reach that, that temperature. It's an act that points to a fact that there is intelligence, there is a God who runs the universe and who created the universe and who created us to be able to see that and worship, which is our logical expression. Living in a... Living in a God-created universe is the key to understanding your epic life. And we need to pause and worship God in the midst of what we're hearing. Listen to this. Programs don't perform functions without a written code. All those systems I just described, who wrote the code? Let me give you an example. If your personal genome sequence, all right, you, your genetics code was written out longhand, it would be a three billion word book. Your instructions take three billion words. 
I'd say that speaks a lot about God's intimate design in making you. And guess what? You're a unique book. There's no other book written like you. You talk about the creative genius of God. It's staggering. The King James Version of the Bible, if you're curious, has 783,137 words. All right? So your genetic code is equivalent to nearly 4,000 Bibles. I wish I could have brought in 4,000 Bibles, just had them all over the stage. Because if you could look at this print and realize all this is your code, and we got 4,000 of these rascals across the sanctuary just to describe you, not your neighbor. We got to get 4,000 more to describe your neighbor. Does anybody see the amazing genius of God? And listen, when the Bible says you're a masterpiece, it's not positive self-help, gobbledygook, feel good today, you can be all that you can be, yay, woo No, that's stupid. No, this is not stupid. This is masterpiece material. This is like you have a reason to be stunned with you and with the God who created you. Check this out, it gets even better. If your personal genome sequence were an audio book that you could listen to on your Kindle, and you were read at the rate of one double helix per second, it would take nearly a century to put you in words. <laughs> it would take a hundred stinking years to describe you at one double helix per second. A person sitting next to you is what I'm trying to say. We should look at each other. I think C.S. Lewis already stole this. We should look at each other and worship. Because the person next to you is a masterpiece. Down to every tiny little description in their makeup, their genetic makeup. And listen, how many of you know if just one of those little things is out of place or wrong, usually the result is death. So it shows again the genius of God. You are not mass produced. You are a priceless Original. You're not like this cheap thing on the walls of, of, a, of a hotel hanging up there where they made five zillion of them. You're unique. And I'm going to end with this on 139 verse 14. I want us to see this. What should be our response to this God who fashioned you, created you for his glory? Look at what Psalm 139 14 says. Thank you. Everybody say thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. I'm going to share something with this simple and profound at the same time. That's usually how profound things are. They're usually very simple. You'll never reach the purpose of your creation if it doesn't begin in worship. What was the psalmist's response to just getting a little glimpse at how incredibly Intricately, he was formed and fashioned, even in the womb of his mother. This is what he did. Thank you. How many of you have just thanked God that he gave you life? How many of you have thanked God that he gave you eternal life? How many of you have thanked God that, that your life has been fashioned for now? There's not another human being exactly like you. And here's the question to ask. Why did God make you? Just the way you are. 
You know, I know people all the time. Maybe, maybe it's been you. It's certainly been me at different times in my life. God, I wish you would have made me like this. God, I wish I could do what that person can do. God, I wish, you know, I had more hair. I wish my nose wasn't so big. I wish my, my ears were tinier or bigger or whatever. I mean, we, we look in the mirror, and here's what we should do when we look in the mirror. If Charles Darwin could look at the human eye and realize his theory was in serious jeopardy, just by watching the eye work, how I many you know we should look ourselves in the eye and say, you're a masterpiece, dude. You're epic. God made one of you for such a time as this. So let's make sure we surrender to God. Let's make sure we honor our creator. Let's make sure we realize he hadn't made any accidents with you. And the coolest thing you can do to keep your life from being worthless is to recognize he has creative ownership over you. He owns you. He designed you down to the minutest detail. And he knows every part of you. And here's the cool thing. He likes you. He likes you. I heard John Wimber say, you know, not only does God love you, because we think God loves us because he has to, because he's love, but God really likes us. Like when he sees you, he puts a smile on his face. And here's the cool thing. We've all been invited into a life and a journey together that's epic. Epic. We get to make history together. We get to watch people born again. Josh, you get to go on missions trips and not on mission trips in our own backyard and watch God mug people. My heart feels different. My heart feels different. Well, yeah, you just got rocked by the creator. We just gave you a new heart. You're not, you're not a thug like you used to be. You're a man of God now. Whoa, this is awesome. You're a genius. You're a masterpiece. God loves you. God chases you down to bring you to himself. God knows everything about you and loves you in spite of what you think are all your inadequacies. Isn't that awesome? And I can't think of a, of a worse ending than to live an entire life and never know you were invited to an epic story. And then God's looking at you going like, I'm sorry, but your life was so boring. And that's not the way I wrote the script. I heard an amazing story of a young gal who was doing all the wrong things, hanging out with the wrong friends, got involved with a boyfriend who wasn't, wasn't going after God, uh, started doing stuff that wasn't, wasn't good for her, good for, or godly or edifying. And, um, and the dad was just scratching his head. You know, Aaron, you brought up the, the, you know, train up a child in the way he will go and he will not depart. But all of a sudden when the dad was praying over the child, the daughter, He's like, God, what do we do, you know? And the Lord just said this, you know, you need to give her a different script for her life. She's living out the script that she thinks is going to give her the most joy and pleasure, but it's a bad script. It ends. We already know the end of that story. It's not good. So he said, let's think of a different script. Got together with his wife and began sharing with his daughter. He said, look, here's what we want to do. We have a, fam- a family project we want to undertake. We know of some kids over in this country that don't have mommies or daddies. They don't have a place to live. And we're going to help establish an orphanage for those kids. All of a sudden, this girl starts thinking, well, okay, well, that's interesting. Before long, she creates a website. She tells all her friends. She starts raising money. They go on a trip overseas to spy out the land. They come back. This girl got an entirely different script for her life. And guess what happened to the boyfriend? 
She became disinterested. Guess what happened to the stupid things that she was doing with the boyfriend? She no longer had, they no longer had her focus. What happened? She got a new script. How many of you know part of our, our understanding of who we are and what we do comes from the Word of God, where God has showed us the big picture, and the coolest thing you and I can do is surrender to our Creator, realize He knows us better than anyone, knows that He's designed us for a distinct purpose for now, and say, thank you, God, I'm all in. I am all in. That's when you begin to see exciting, supernatural God happenings in your life. And how about this? When you're dead, not to put a bummer on this morning service, all right? But when you're dead, there you are in the coffin. I'm standing in front of you, all right? You don't know it because you're gone. But I'm in, there I am. There you are. We got something to say about you. People have something to say about you. People actually show up at your funeral. How about this? Because of the epic story that was written through you in your life. And the older I get, I realize my hourglass, the sands of time are running through my epic story. I want to make sure there's a cool ending. Like, I want fireworks at my ending. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I want God fire. I want my life to be marked by people who have been impacted by Jesus through who Christ made me to be. Anybody with me on this? I want my money to have an assignment on my money. So my money is used for eternal things. I, I want my time used for eternal. How about this? I want to know this God who is so incredibly awesome. I mean, I, it, it is the moment I got born again, I had an insatiable hunger for truth. I read like crazy. Why? Are you just studious, Pastor? No. I'm hungry. I'm on a pursuit. I want to know as much about God as I can. I want to fall in love with Jesus as much as I can. I, I want to make the biggest splash together that we can possibly make in our life. I want the epic story over the church living stones to be awesome. Like you can't put the book down. Oh my word. Are you all talking, know what I'm talking about? Not like those kind you pull off the shelf and read go, oh man, that was bad. All right. Is your life Exciting? Is your life surrendered? Is your life part of something that matters? Or are you just out there doing it on your own? I want to encourage us to do something right now. Just stand here if you We're going to close. But I want to put, I want to connect our dots for us. If you're here this morning and you're, you're with me on this, you want to join the psalm of Psalm 139, verse 14. You just want to say, thank you, Jesus. Can you lift your hands with me just as a sign of worship? We're standing in front of a God who is staggeringly beautiful and glorious and good and kind and awesome. And we are his workmanship. We find our story in his story. And if you are grateful that you're alive today, born again today, that your life is full of meaning today, that you have a purpose and you are designed by God. Can you just say with me, thank you, Lord. Just begin to thank him all over this place. Thank you, Lord. God, we're grateful. We love you. We don't fight the creator. We surrender to our creator. We want to know you, God. You, might, We're going to spend eternity just catching glimpses of you every moment and we'll be absolutely overwhelmed and stunned at ever-increasing degrees by who you are. So, Lord, 
Wreck us with your love. Wreck us with your kindness. Wreck us with your genius, Lord. Cause faith to arise as we're invited on this epic journey together, Lord, that we would not lose heart, but that we would really believe. Some of you need to hear this right now. God's just speaking to me. Some of you have gone through a a, a fork in the road or a U-turn, and sometimes we go through seasons where we're like, you know what? I used to believe what Pastor was saying, but I am lost as a goose right now, and I don't know... I don't know where to go. This is for you. God's hand is on your life. Every U-turn is a God turn. Every valley is a God valley, and every mountain is a God mountain peak. And some of you need to hear this today. God has not forgotten you, and your story is not running around like doorways that don't go anywhere or pillars that don't support anything. God's hand is on your life. Just surrender to his purposes again, even when you don't understand what it is that he's doing. He's a smart dad. He's a great dad. Some of you are in a situation where you need a breakthrough. Listen to me. This part of the story. Stories are boring without adventure. Stories are boring without danger. Stories are boring without crisis. But God is the God of turnaround. Don't you give up. Let the Lord write an amazing story. Our job is to worship, to give thanks, to move in faith, to walk in humility, to pursue the Lord, and to watch him write his amazing, unique, one-of-a-kind, epic story in you and in me. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you're a creator. We love you. God, continue to create fresh things, new things, stuff we can't even have conceived of yet, but they're in your mind and your heart. Lord, let this be a breakthrough season for our church family. We love you. We honor you, Lord. We give you praise now. In Jesus' name, amen.